Welcome to the Round Barn. I am Ashley, and you are? Bob. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not senility. Maybe I forgot. No, I'm Jim. Okay, I think you're Jim. I'm going to keep you as Jim today. Keep my keep my brain straight. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought we were going to go back to COVID. I mean, we haven't talked about that in like a week and a half. Okay. So um, it is March right now, so we haven't had the COVID officially for now like a, two weeks, 10 days. Um, but I think we've got an interesting story to talk about. So we have a guest today with us. Ooh, who's our guest? Dr. Storms is our guest today. Hi, Hi. Dr. Storms. Hi, how are you? Good. Well, you know you're famous now. This is the first guest on the round world. Oh, well, we're I'm, I'm honored. We're making- big, big time, <laughs> big time. We're making history today. Yeah, next thing you know, we'll have a sponsor. This little- I like it. Okay. We but- have a coffee sponsor? No, we're not talking about nut juice and coffee anymore. <laughs> so I can have my latte every time we do this? My God. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Lowe. And I'm Dr. Ashley Mytek. And welcome to The Round Bar. So, um, I thought we'd talk about the COVID today and go back to that and some work that Dr. Storms has been working on. Well, we've been working on together, but she did the work. You have to work with him? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, 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 it's a bit tough sometimes, but we get through it. Okay. Everybody has a cross to bear. That's, that's where this is at. I'm, I'm impressed. I like you already, Dr. Storms. I mean, you tolerate me a few hours a week. I know, but I have a, I, that's why I get lattes before I come. Because as long as I have a latte, I can handle anything. So as long as it has almond milk, then I'm good to go. It's, it's, it's almond juice. It's not it's not a juice. It's milk. Okay. We'll discover that for another day. So if you remember, Dr. Mitek, we had a lot of, uh, in, May, in 2020, this COVID thing started. And it was about this time in 2020, right? So we kind of shut the university down in the end of March of 2020. I remember that because you and I were, were drinking coffee like right in March. And I remember not believing in COVID. And I said, hey, Jim, what do you think about this COVID thing that's going on in China? And you're like, ooh, we're going to have to watch that one. And I was like, what? I expected you to be like, no, Ash, don't worry about it. And then you kind of were right. I hate to admit it. There's once. I'm I'm admitting on air that one time JL was right. So good call. Once out of 50 some years, not bad. Um, So right. And after that, kind of remember the story, right? We had all these crises with supply chains and there was a big meat supply chain crisis. So right, didn't have meats in the grocery store, et cetera. And that because we were struggling with workers in uh, the packing plants. So we had an opportunity to go help. And so Dr. Storms jumped in and kind of tackled, tackled some serious issues. So what was the impetus? What was the problem you were trying to, to solve when you started to work with, with these packing plants? All right. So like Jim was saying, we, we, you know, you went to the grocery store and everything was gone and um, the packing plants, you know, it's, it's a, it's a large group of people working, and if, you know, some of you might have seen on the news, there were um, some outbreaks with some of the employees in, in these different areas. So people were kind of afraid to go to work. They were um, staying home, maybe because they're infected, maybe because they thought by going to work they were going to get sick. 
So there was a lot of absenteeism in the plants, and that, that's a people problem. But it was also a problem for the producers because they had no place um, to harvest and slaughter you know, pork and, and cattle. So it created this huge backup of livestock um, in our industry. So you know, we wanted to help the people, but we also wanted to help our industry by going in and seeing if we can help solve some of these problems uh, in the packing plants. It sounds like it was a very complex problem, and it's really nice to see that there was a lot of different groups that maybe came together to problem solve. Can you talk a little bit more about, I'm just imagining if I was working in a packing plant, COVID just hits, and the person next to me is out sick with COVID, and I'm watching the news and things like that, I can totally put myself in their shoes and think, oh my gosh, if I go to work or I don't want to go to work because I'm going to get COVID. And so I'm sure you you saw that. And then you also saw the other side of it, which was, oh my gosh, we have got to get food in the grocery stores. We've got to help support the, the producers. And there's probably all these different loud voices. So where do you even start when you come into a situation like that? Yeah, I think we started off by um, going to a couple, we had a couple um, partners, partner plants that we, we went and talked to their HR people. We said, you know, what are the issues here? How are you trying to work with your employees to um, help them understand the situation and um, communicate both what you're trying to do, what the state's trying to do to help, you know, what the CDC guidelines are? Because a lot of the people and employees working in these plants, English is not their first language. Um, so it was really interesting to see how they reached out to their employees um, and worked in their communities uh, to help ensure them that they were doing the best they could to keep them safe and encourage them to continue to come to work. Um, and, you know, having us and inviting us in to help um, do some surveillance, disease surveillance in the plant um, was great. And I think it was instrumental to help them, uh, you know, communicate to their employees that we're doing our best we can to keep this a really safe environment for you. What were the biggest problems when you talked to the HR folks that they were noticing at that time? So they had some areas of concern, you know, that they wanted to make sure we're safe in the plants, you know, some shared air spaces and certain times of day when all the employees were going to be coming together. Um, but they also were very concerned about, you know, what, what they can you know, do to support the, their employees. So we're more infectious disease experts. So um, I can talk more about, you know, what they were doing or what we were doing, you know, to monitor surveillance. But um, there was a whole different side of you know, other collaborators that are working with the people. Let's talk about the infectious disease part and what where what your research was and, and what you guys did. Sure. So our lab, we we do a lot with uh, viral respiratory diseases. So like I said, co or like Jim said, COVID, you know, nobody has expertise on that, but we do other things, um, influenza and, and other, you know, infectious diseases for um, swine and, and beef. So kind of places we, we went in and we looked and we, Tried to figure out where where would be an area that would be you know quote unquote at risk. So it'd probably be places where the employees are coming together. So lunch rooms, restrooms, locker rooms, places where you know high concentration. Because out on out on the, the packing floor, they're a little bit more spread out. Um, and at this time, you know the the plants were already starting to think of ways to like put up dividers and and things like that between um, stations so that there was a lower risk for them to be spreading anything. Um, so yeah, we concentrated on these, these shared spaces that have normal HVAC systems. They don't have these big commercial uh, air you know, handling systems like they do on the packing floor, um, which, which were already put in place um, for food safety um, 
purposes. And that's, that's, I mean. So on the, on the floor of the packing plant, they've got really nice filtration and air circulation and things like that. Not necessarily for human safety. It worked out that way, but for the food safety, which was nice. So then you were able to identify that the places where they were at risk were the places that actually where they weren't on the floor, right? Okay. Yeah. Where they were taking breaks and changing and eating lunch. So areas like the cafeteria were, we, we, we targeted those areas um, and we sampled surfaces. So lunch tables, vending machines, you know, the coffee pot, things like that, that lots of people are going to be touching. You know, they're going to be having their mask down during this time because they're eating. And um, so you well, did all the sampling yourself or, or you took some of the samples at least? I took many, many, many of the samples, but I usually would bring some veterinary students with me so that they could, exp- you know, get to see uh, what a packing plant's like. These are animal, or animals, these are students interested in food animal. So, um, What type of fashion do you wear when you go to a, a packing plant? A packing plant, plant is really good. It's really, you wear a white smock, a hairnet, a hard hat, you know, a close hard to- hat? Yeah, this is for safety. So things don't fall on your head. Um, earplugs, um, and you know, we have boots, you know, rubber boots. Because they, they do a lot of washing and rinsing, so it's wet in there. So, yeah, you look really, really stylish. So you're taking these samples and then keep telling me your story of, of how your research went. Sure. So um, we started doing this surveillance at the end of May 2020. So we got into two plants, um, and we'd go weekly, and we'd sample these high-touch areas, is what I called them. Um, we'd also take a couple of air samples. So we, we'd spread our air samplers around. To How do you take an air sample? Did you just take like a mason jar and you're like, put the lid on it really fast? <laughs> well, actually, we, we got a little bit creative. So there are some, do you want to explain the, you worked yeah. most, you worked a lot on these air samplers. It's a wood box with a computer fan. Okay. I was going to say, is it Hooked a leaf on. blower? No, or? no, we tried that. We tried that okay. and they're too expensive. It works. But the leaf blowers are too expensive. So we literally took a um, a, bat- a um, drill, electric drill battery, you know, like a rechargeable lithium-ion battery, and plugged it into a, fan, a little computer fan, like literally bought fans that would go in computers and put it inside a wood box with a hole. There a hole out and a hole in, and that worked uh, worked amazingly well. We could control the airflow uh, at the required speed. So, And we can take samples for 24 hours with, okay. with that. So okay. we get a full day's... It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, we, we started off trying to, you know, we were trying our best to get a good sample. So, And then you go around after the 24 hours and you just pick up these discs and bring them back? Yeah, we well, we do a little bit for safety reasons. We put it in some special media so that it would inactivate any virus. And then, yes, we would um, PCR the, well, the VDL, the diagnostic lab here, okay. um, ran all of our PCR. So I want to go back to the, these puck things because they're kind of cute. So they they have all this whatever stuff in them, viruses, bacteria, fungi from the air. And um, and then you take those to the veterinary di- diagnostic lab here. And then what do they do? Do they, they, they like smash them up and put them like in a thousand different Petri dishes? Or how do they do the testing to figure out what's in them? So the testing, uh, we would bring them back to our lab and I would um – Usually use about two mils of, of fluid, and I would rinse the, the, the pucks out, um, so kind of wash them, and then I would submit that fluid to the diagnostic the wash. lab. Yeah. Oh, cool. And then they would do the PCR yes. testing. And tell me again. Just so this is a real science pod, it we, we elude it. We, we elude, do. We elude, elude the filter. virus off How the filter. How do you spell that? 
E-L-U-T-E. Elute? Like playing the flute. Yes. Elute. Yes. Who made up that word? Are you making that up? You no, make that's that word a real up word. Right it's now. a real word. That's yeah. a real word. That's science, Elute. right? Science Elute. on this podcast. Science. Today. I love it. So then that sample goes downstairs. We're on the second floor of the veterinary basic sciences building for our listeners. And so you would run downstairs, drop that sample off. They do their magic PCR testing. And what is what is PCR testing? Polymerase chain reaction. So that's just identifying whatever fragments of nucleic acid. DNA yeah. or, or whatever. RNA. Yeah, it's an RNA What's the virus. difference between RNA and DNA? It's a deoxyribonucleic acid or just a ribonucleic acid. Okay. So you can go back to... You can go back to first year. Biochemistry Yeah, go back to first year. Is that first year of vet school? Yeah, it's somewhere, probably biochemistry or biology. Freshman biology, yeah. Okay. Um, And so what was I going to say? Hold on one second. We had had another thought on that. So they do that. But then I guess what I'm curious about is um, do they – so did they find you found probably found a ton of different things? Well, I started sampling in May, and I didn't get a positive until – November. Actually, the first week of December. For COVID? Yeah. I didn't see any samples that were positive until after Thanksgiving. But So they were just testing for COVID? I was just doing COVID surveillance. Did you kind of – did you go – when you went to sleep at night, were you like, I wonder what else is in there? No. Really? You're just – Well, I mean, I was sleeping bathrooms. I didn't really want to know. (laughs) Yeah, come on, Ash. Come on. If you'd been there, you wouldn't wouldn't want to know either. So you didn't get – you started when? I started at the end of May. May, and you got your first positive surface sample. Surface sample when? In December. December 3rd. June, July, August, September. Six months? Yeah. Did that not surprise you? Hundreds of samples. Hundreds of samples. That seems very surprising to me. Well, it surprised everyone. Yeah, everyone was saying that there was all this COVID flying around and that the plants were the source of this, you know, of these outbreaks. Like, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm taking... samples every week and it wasn't until December that I started to find positives. Okay. I need to go back again. So there's this discrepancy between there being this idea that the meat packing plants are, there's COVID everywhere. Right. And so far at this point in the study, you guys can't find it in all the places you're looking, surface sampling, air sampling, right? And presumably, um, there's some pretty smart people. I'm looking at two of them right here. And also some, some smart people from main campus that were helping with this. And um, all the sampling was seemed like pretty significant amount of sampling going on. Um, were, were there meat packing employees that were testing positive for COVID at that time? Yes. Was that, I mean, was that but they were, part they of were your out study? Of, they were out of, that was not part of my study. Okay. But um, a lot of the plants, they were, they were doing, you know, proactive testing. They'd have testing days. And anyone that was positive, you know, they'd say, you stay home, you know, we'll, paid leave. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to bring any of this to work. Um, they would you know, have surveillance when you'd come in every day. So they'd do take temperatures, make sure that you weren't taking any um you know, fever suppressants like ibuprofen or aspirin or anything. You couldn't come to work if you were taking that. Um, ask you, you know, fill out a questionnaire to make sure that you were healthy every day. So they were probably getting COVID from somewhere other than the meat packing plant is what the data was telling you at that point. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's, uh, we, we've been challenged on this pretty hard because our data didn't fit the narrative. 
Interesting. That's a that's a problem, not for us, because the data's right. The data was collected. It's it's a huge example of, and we see this every day, right? I'm I'm theoretically a pig veterinarian or pretend to be one on TV. Or I think you it's legit. You're a legit pig veterinarian but, in my book, just so you know. Like, but, what does your license plate say? It doesn't uh, say pig, pig DR, one. Pig dr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pig dr. Okay. Yeah. I think if you have a license like that says pig doctor, you're a pig doctor. Okay. Or it's a wannabe. Or I stayed at Holiday Express last night. We're not sure. But um, the the point being, right, that this is we see this every day in you know I do infectious disease. That's what we do as a pig veterinarian. But most of what I do is ID and epidemic ID and. We see this all the time. Well, this is what it's got to be. But when you go collect the information, the, the the facts don't back up the theory. And that's the part of science, right? I mean, okay, it's fine. It's messy. That's what you do. There is no question that there were a lot of sick employees at those, at those facilities. The evidence suggests that it wasn't – the primary transmission was not in plant. What – when you got the positives, what was the other key bit of the positive data, timing-wise? It was right after Thanksgiving. It was the week after. Oh, wow. Okay. And you went back and looked at the community data then? Yeah. So I, I so throughout December and January, all of the plants, we ended up testing seven plants in several different states. Um, and they, in December, by January, first week of January, all of the plants had tested positive. Um on surface samples. And I went back and looked at the, the county levels of posi- you know, positive COVID testing. Um, it was about a week, or sorry, not a week, a month prior were the peaks in the counties of community you know, positive tests. So it, a month before I found any COVID in the plants were tons and tons in the community. So it was kind of a, a month late. It wasn't where it was happening, but it, it got it trickled in a month later is kind of how we, we viewed that. And I think the, the punchline is, right, the preventative measures, i.e. screening symptomatic people, worked in the initial stages of the outbreak where most of the cases were symptomatic. In the whatever was going on the fall of 2020, spring of 2021, I can't remember which variant we were at at that point, right? But we started to see more asymptomatic cases because this screening, Susanna talked about the screening occurred every day. It was like you had to give away your firstborn to walk in the walk in the plant on a daily basis. Every employee, it wasn't just visitors. It was every employee did that every day. And they'd spread out lunchrooms and they did all this work. And so clearly they kept the symptomatics out. And then somewhere late in the outbreak, ah, there was a few asymptomatics that started sneaking through and are shedding a little bit of virus. Now, the, there wasn't very much virus. Um, but I think it's a good good bit of where um, understanding what's happening in the community spread was real. Let's not deny that. There were a lot of sick people, but that the workplace does not appear to be the primary source of transmission. And it makes sense, right? I mean, you had families living together. You had people riding in cars. I mean, it's interesting. You go to a packing plant and if they live in the same community and they're driving to the packing plant, they may all carpool together. I mean, we'd all do it. Save gas. $5 gas, we're all going to carpool a lot more. But um, Or start walking one of the two. But 
Get your horse. Get your horse. No, it's still a waste of still a waste of grass. Uh, but right. But the you think about that, right? So I think this is the kind of work that continues to enlighten how we think about ID control. That uh, some things work, some things don't. If we can't be holistic in our approach, and there's a lot of lessons for livestock here. What were some of the lessons? Um. You have to set realistic expectations that zero is not possible. Zero cases is zero not possible. Zero cases is not possible. Um, you better focus on where the primary contact is. And that turned out not to be at work. Um, if you can't control everything, your expectations better go down. Um, and I think the interesting work, Susanna alluded to the fact we had some colleagues, some anthropology colleagues up on campus um, that worked with some of the communities. And then uh, we observed different kind of behavior in the plants. Is that the best way to describe Some way, it? yeah, behavior. Yeah. Behavior, particularly with management. Let's uh, talk, talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, there was a very pro, Susanna alluded, there was a very proactive approach in some facilities, some locations, and there was a less than proactive approach in some other locations. Let's. Um, and I think that's how they view their employee engagement, right, all the time. So you've got some plant managers who were extremely engaged with their community and were long before COVID, and others were trying to figure out how to get engaged after COVID started. And I think as we looked at... And when he says engaged with their community, so these, these plants, they have many different nationalities, many, many, many different languages. 17. The average packing plant in the United States has 17 languages spoken in it. Wow. So they have many different communities that they go home to every night, um, spend time with, and trust. And so some of the packing plants were really proactive in finding leaders in those communities that spoke the language that could, you know, bring some, some clarity to, you know, the uncertainty that was going on. Whereas other plants, they said, well, I think we've got three, three languages here. So we put up stuff in French, Spanish, and English. And, you know, we're listening to the conversation behind us. We're like, that is not no, French, no, Spanish, or English. English. <laughs> not of any of those three. So there's just a really different, the behavior between the plants and the, the management, like, like you're saying, is, was really different. And, it, and you could see in the plants where the management was really plugged in with those communities, things were going a lot better. People were showing up to work. Whereas in the other plants, there was a lot more absenteeism and they really, I mean, the production floor was really slowed down. You would have predicted it just based upon how management interacted with those communities. And I think that if to me, if there's one lesson out of all of this, this only got started because we had longstanding relationships with these packing plants, some cases 20 years. We've had long-standing relationships with the industry. This doesn't happen without relationship. And trust. And trust. And those relationships build trust. And if we looked at where the plants that were successful at minimizing absenteeism, whatever that, that that's a proxy for disease, right? That's not perfect disease because people miss work for a lot of reasons. But where the plants had a lot of trust with employees because they'd spent forever building those relationships, those plants were great. The other plants, and it's and it's not a company thing, it's an individual manager thing, where they had not built those relationships, it's really hard to build those in the middle of a firefight. Yeah, it seems like to me there's two really interesting takeaways hearing 
the great work that you all did. One is that uh, sometimes the data doesn't support the story. I think that's how you phrased it, Jim. But the data doesn't lie, right? And then that I'm sure you might have faced some challenges with presenting that data to certain stakeholders, but that was the situation um, and probably helped guide some some practices um, with what was going on in those plans. But then what is really interesting to me is, is this whole, you can't practice medicine without understanding people and human behavior, right? It's impossible. We can take hard data that's black and white, that's numbers, but to actually make a difference in a patient or a person's life, you have to understand how they play within that ecosystem. And you noted that the managers that accepted that probably had much better turnout and people coming to work than the ones that didn't. Um, and I think that that's, that's a really cool story to tell of science and art and medicine, right? And I think as we wrap up, that's the take home I'd leave everybody with. It's never about the technology or the science. It's about do people believe that you're doing it and you're doing it for the right reasons? We can be wrong and data can be wrong. We can collect data wrong. And I would tell you, you know who the biggest stakeholder pushback was with the negative, all the negative testing? The plants. They said, are we doing this right? These should be positive. Are we doing what we should be doing? And so, right, that's a, when you've got a skeptical customer, that's, that's the spot where you really get good information because you continue to push and challenge. And I think that's, that's the take home to me out of all this is, is that um, don't believe your gut, go get the information to prove it. And if we're going to be successful in veterinary medicine or human medicine, really improving health, um, that's a long-term process. And it's not a new diagnostic test. It's the ability to build trust between provider and caregiver or between boss and employee. Right. And I think that a teamwork makes the dream work, right? And this was a team of a lot of different people who had a lot of trust um, in those individuals. And you guys clearly did something pretty cool and significant. So thank you, Dr. Storms, for joining us. The first guest ever. Woo! You're welcome. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> no. Thanks, uh, Jim, for talking to us about meatpacking plants, too. Thanks, Ash, and we'll see you all later. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we'd love to hear from you, too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at the Round Barn one We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing, we also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.